in chapter 5, commencing at verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading can be found on page 1080 in the Church Bible, 1080. It's taken from John chapter 12 and starting at verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks be, be to God. Janet, thanks very much for that reading. Good morning. Well, it's great to see you all. A great privilege to be preaching this last Sunday that I'm with you, in official capacity at least. And it's a great joy also to be beginning a new three-part series in the run-up to Easter, where we're going to be looking at the cross uh, in the Gospel of John. Or at least you are. I'm going to only be here one more morning. And we're starting with this fascinating passage of the Greeks coming to Jesus and asking to see him. Before we dig into it, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might enliven it in our midst afresh. Lord, please, would you speak to us? Would you conform us to your voice? And we pray and ask, Lord, that we might honour you as a result. Come and have your way, we pray in our midst. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking the question, do you know what time it is? And not the time on the clock, but rather the time 
in your life, the season of your soul. Knowing what time it is, Debbie is laughing there, you obviously know what time it is. <laughs> Knowing what time it is, is very important to interpreting what's going on around you. Dickens uh, famously started his novel, A Tale of Two Cities, with the words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. The writer of Ecclesiastes famously writes, there is a time for everything, a season for everything under the sun. A time to be born, a time to die, to mourn and to dance, to embrace and refrain from embracing. I wonder if you know what time it is. In our passage, Jesus very clearly knows what time it is for him. Six days before his death on the cross, Greeks who've travelled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival come to Philip, who seems to have some kind of Greek connection. He's got a Greek name, probably spoke their language. And they ask him very politely, Sir, we would see Jesus. No doubt Jesus was surrounded by crowds and they would have been uncertain whether he'd countenance meeting them as non-Jews. But they've heard so much, they politely want to make that request, seeing what might happen. Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip tells Andrew, and together they come to Jesus and pass on the request. And Jesus responds very simply. Verse 23 the hour has come. The hour has come. He recognised it was time. And this, que- this question that I want to ask this morning is very simply around that verse. What time did he recognise it to be? And the answer is given straight away. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That it was time for Jesus' glory. He uses the word son of man, which is one of Jesus' favourite descriptions of himself. And he's ripping off a vision seen by Daniel in Daniel 7 of the son of man, the high and lifted up one, glorious and resplendent. And Jesus says, it's time. It's time for him to be glorified. It's time for everyone to see him in his heavenly glory, to see him for who he really is. And we know through the Gospel of John, there's been a ticking clock waiting for this time. You might remember the wedding at Cana where his mother comes to him and says, please, could you sort out this awful miscatering? <laughs> and what is his reply? My time has not yet come. But he still miraculously turns water into the best vintage red wine and there's partying. At the Feast of Tabernacles, his brothers come to him and says. Go and show yourself to the world so that they might believe in you. And his reply, the right time for me has not yet come. It's not time yet. Twice in the Gospel of John, it says that they tried to lay hands on Jesus to kill him. And twice it says they could not, for it was not yet his time. But when these Greek outsiders come and ask to see him, he finally says, it's time. The hour has come. It's time for me to be glorified. And of course, the follow-on question is, why? Why is that the event that signifies that it's time? And I think the answer is that the Greeks coming was a sign and a foretaste 
of the fact that Jesus' earthly mission, his first earthly mission, was over. He'd been sent to Israel to preach the gospel to God's first chosen people. It was their privilege as part of their inheritance. But now when these outsiders come and ask to see him, he knows, oh, it's got to go further. The second mission is afoot. That actually my glory isn't just for Israel. It's going to be to the ends of the earth. He's going to be the high and lifted up one who shines amongst all the nations. The longing of the nations that these Greeks represent to know God, to have a saviour, to receive eternal life. It started and he knows it's time. It's time for his glory. And ultimately that would be through one event coming that very week. His glory upon the cross, high and lifted up, that he would draw all men to himself. They would see him as the suffering servant, the perfect but pierced through king. That they would see a revelation of who God is, full of mercy, full of grace, full of love. They would see God's glory, Jesus' glory, shining for all to see. The hour had come for his glory. And now we know 2,000 years later, Jesus didn't get the time wrong His glory at the cross shone and has continued to shine for countless billions across human history. So that right now, there's not a country on the planet where there isn't someone who sees it. But I want to suggest, applying this today, that that time isn't over, that it's still the hour. It's still the hour for Jesus' glory. You'll know that this is my last sermon here. And I guess my greatest hope, my greatest desire for St. Jude's as a church is that it would be about one thing in the end, about the glory of Jesus. That men and women here would be gripped with a desire to see him glorified, to see him lifted up, to see people know him and love him and see how wonderful and winsome he is. I hope the next time that I come back to visit, Jesus' glory would have shone even brighter, that more people will have seen it, and that it reached further out into the community. You see, Jesus' desire in our passage for his glory isn't megalomania. He longs for his glory to remain known, because he knows that in knowing him and seeing his glory is the only true place of hope and healing of safety and salvation, of all that the world wants and needs. He knew it, and so do we. And I want to say that it is the time for others to know it as well. I'm aware in my own life that Jesus' glory often competes with my own glory in this. I was um, earlier this week at a 24-hour preacher's retreat where I had the great privilege of sitting at the feet of two world-class preachers to learn for them with 15 other people. Time to learn about how to glorify Jesus more, to bring him more glory. But as I was there, I was aware, very sadly, that I spent a lot of my time more concerned with my glory than Jesus' glory. What do these two guys think of me? Am I shining in the midst of this group of 15? How brilliant is my dinnertime conversation? Will I stay in their memories? 
It's really silly and stupid, really. I'm often left in the place asking, what would it look like for me to look at my watch and say, it's time. It's time for Jesus to get the glory. Some of you will remember nearly a decade ago the uh, plight of the 33 trapped Chilean miners who had a miraculous rescue in 2010. Trapped without fresh water and food, seemingly impossible situation. I came across an old interview this week with Jose Henriquez, who was the man who many pointed to as making all the difference to the trapped miners down there. He took charge, and you'll know he called them to call upon God. He organized twice daily prayer meetings, times of worship, and when they finally got a small borehole to reach them, he said, send me down 33 miniature Bibles straight away, please. And they started Bible studies. And actually, a number of them came to Christ in that time. An amazing guy. But in this interview that I read, he was asked about how important he had been to keep the miners going. And if he was going to use his new fame and glory as a potential evangelist across the world, surely you could do that now. And his reply was this. The glory belongs to him. Any man is only a mere instrument in the hands of God. Mining is my profession, but if God tells me to do something else, well, the glory is for him, doesn't it seem to you? I don't know where he will put me now. Probably it could be somewhere else. Wherever we are ready to praise his name in any place, this is our trust in him and our inspiration and our joy a man who understood that the glory belongs to him. I think many of us long to live in this way, to make Jesus' glory a priority in our lives. And there's some very practical reasons why we don't. Why we don't, sadly. No, I don't. For some here, it is that you've just got too much on your plate. The hour is not yet. It's not time. There's too much going on. You just need to wait until life has settled a bit for its (laughs) present precious. The problem with that is that it will never be the right time. It will never be the right time to spend yourself for Christ's glory. There will always be something. The time is now, let me suggest. For others, it's that we've spent ourselves on Jesus' glory in the past. We think the time has passed, that the clock's moved on. And we need that realisation that actually for thousands of people around us, it is still that hour for them. And all of us, at some point, will look in the mirror and say, no, the time isn't right. Look at me. Look at me. I'm not the right person to do this. I'm a sinful mess. Rather than bring him glory, actually, I detract from it. I do more harm than good. Best I probably sat on the sidelines and cheer and support. Well, if that's you, I, I feel for you. We often all feel like that. But I wonder if it could be to our encouragement in the New Testament. Those who glorify Christ most were often those who were like that. That God took a Jesus denier in Peter and made him the rock on which he built his church. He took a Jesus persecutor in Paul and took his gospel to the nations through him. He did it through them and he can do it through us. That actually it's time for Jesus' glory. Well, let me end there. just want to say it's been a great privilege, Sunday by Sunday, being here. 
leading and preaching and worshipping with you. I will miss being here. Thankful for all of you. And be assured that I'm praying for you and will be continuing to pray for you. And especially this, that Jesus would be glorified through you in this place. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word says that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. We pray for that to be fulfilled in our midst. We pray for our lives that it would not be about our glory, but your glory. Lord, we pray that you'd use us. Lord, we give ourselves to you to be spent for your glory. And pray and ask, Lord, that as we do that, many, many would see how glorious and wonderful, how winsome and pure and full of grace you are, that they would know you, the one who is like no other. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.